Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management, the only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about top tax preparation mistakes that we see. Uh, we talk about this. There's a disclosure at the end of the episode, but it's worth explicitly saying this is not tax or legal advice. So consult the appropriate professional. But being in financial planning means seeing all the dimensions of financial planning, which includes tax preparation, tax returns. So we see a lot of tax returns and we see people make mistakes and even CPAs make mistakes that are consequential or potentially catastrophic if they're not uh, if they're not avoided. So this episode, we're going to talk through um, some of those. Justin, but before we get into it, it's it's a new year, or it will be a new year once this podcast is live for our listeners. Do you have any uh, big emphasis areas or focuses, you know, personally or New Year's resolution? I don't even know if you're a New Year's resolution guy. You know, I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy. I'm trying to think if I do have some areas of focus, uh, things that, you know, I, I think I'm probably going to make some sort of goal to read a certain amount and stuff like that. I'm, I am going to make some goals for what I want to do is I want to have more one-on-one -on -one time with each of my kids. And so, you know, I hang out with my kids a ton, but every time Lauren or I do something where it's just one of them, we walk away thinking, man, we need to do that more often. We need to, you know, find a way to just get one-on-one -on -one time. And it's fun to see what comes up and, and how it's different than interacting with all of them at once. So that's going to be a big goal, finding ways. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know if I'll do trips. It could just be, you know, take one kid at a certain point each week to go get ice cream or something. But I think that's going to be one thing we think through. Jared, how about you? That's a great rhythm. I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think next year, I haven't really thought about it much, to be honest, because we're still in December as of recording this. But I do want to take a few big trips. Like if I think about my childhood, one of the things I'm most grateful for is how much time I spent in different places, just meeting different people, seeing family members, seeing different environments. I was just so good for my you know, development and just making me a more empathetic and well-rounded human. So, you know, now that I have a kid, I, I want to continue to just f build that muscle as a family of taking trips, uh, and especially with, you know, the ability to work remote, uh, just ideally like a few road trips, I don't know, maybe out West or in the Northeast where, uh, we both have siblings that live. So I don't know if we could just do a couple trips, that would be great. And then, uh, I have a, my sister-in-law is getting married in Europe next fall. So doing that will be, will also be fun. So I, I think just really flexing the trip muscle and building memories with uh, my son, Ellis and my wife, Erin is, is he gets a little older and more aware of the world. Okay. So you said your sister-in-law getting married in Europe, where in Europe? Uh, it's going to be Richmond. Okay. So yeah. Where where the the beloved AFC Richmond town is is based? Yeah, she's marrying a, a Brit. Uh, so yeah, wow, that's super cool. Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned trips. I'm kind of thinking about this too, and you know, maybe we have listeners that have an opinion and want to chime in here. So we are we still haven't pulled the trigger on this, but we are thinking about doing 
an enormous road trip. Like I'm talking six, seven, eight weeks in the summer next year. Here's the background. Here's the context. Uh, Lauren finishes law school in May. Her job starts uh, in September. Um, And so mid-September of next year, you know, she'll be an attorney and she'll be working. And as you can imagine, our ability to go somewhere for six or seven weeks is going to be pretty limited. Uh, working at a big law firm. And there's kind of this other dynamic where our oldest is my son, my my oldest is, is going to be 10. And so our kids, you know, they're about, they'll be 10, eight and six. They are really interested and excited to go on a trip with mom and dad and leave for six or seven weeks. I'm pretty sure if we fast forward two, three years, they're not going to be as excited about that. And so we haven't pulled the trigger on this yet, but I'm kind of thinking, you know, this may be one of the last windows where we could even do something like this. Uh, and so we're, we're still kind of mulling on what that would look like, but we've thought about kind of doing a mountain California road trip and then staying somewhere in California for four weeks. My votes. Yeah. I, I don't know. We, we got to figure out how to give a poll so we can get feedback from the people on whether or not now's a good time to do it. But I, I bet based on what you've told me, it's a resounding yes. Like there's a finite amount of time. It's not impossible to do. It just becomes higher degree of difficulty. seems like the perfect confluence of events for you to, to go for it. For sure. Yeah. It would be fun to figure out a, a podcast poll function, but yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well, let's talk tax prep mistakes, right? So before your big summer trip, we got taxes for 2023. So Justin, we'll kind of go through these quickly. But the first mistake we see is one, HSA and IRA funding, or we'll call this operating with incomplete information, right? This one is a mess, partly just because of how the rules are structured. It is nice because with IRAs and HSA accounts, you have until the tax filing deadline to make contributions for the prior year. So i.e. for tax year 2023, you actually have until April 15th of 2024. Same with HSAs, which is great because it's one of those things where, you know, Roth IRAs are a great example. I don't know if I'm going to be eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA and my income is going to be close to the phase out, right? It might be kind of nice to wait to that next year to make the contribution for the prior year, right? So having that flexibility is is kind of nice. But the problem with that is uh, because you have until the tax filing deadline to make the contributions, um, the forms that are generated to report that contribution. So for the IRA, it's uh, form 5498. And for uh, HSA, it's form 8889. Those aren't generated and, and furnished to you until after the tax filing deadline, right? So that's one of those easy things where you can ask your CPA, or your CPA can ask you, hey, I need these. Do- I need all your tax documents. And they'll give you those documents. And you won't have documents for HSA or IRA contributions that are made because you have until the tax filing deadline. So they will complete tax work and pre- to prepare your tax return without those things. And so that's that's the first mistake we see. Justin, any thoughts or feedback on that? Yep. I think, uh, you know, it sounds simple, but it is, it's one of those things, Jared, where I think it's so simple that it's frankly not worth, you know, many CPAs times to be super experts in. They've got much bigger opportunities to um, capitalize on. And so sometimes little small things like that can be a little bit of a hiccup. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, okay. Point number two, lack of coordination. So this is one we come across a lot. So like professionals aren't working together, right? So like one of the things that happens a lot as a result of the financial planning relationship is optimization opportunities and tax planning and strategies that impact your tax picture, right? Like Roth conversions are a great example, tax loss harvesting, gifting of appreciated stock for charitable purposes, right? There's so many different things we can do uh, from an optimi- income optimization perspective that impacts your tax picture. But if your, uh, if your uh, CPA isn't in communication with your financial advisor, they might be really confused as to what's going on, or they might not even know to ask for documents. And so that's one that you know we really kind of see a lot of where uh, the ta- tax returns won't reflect some of the strategies or things that are being implemented because there's not ongoing dialogue or a system for kind of checking that. Yep. And you know, you did mention tax loss harvesting. Here's the thing about harvesting tax losses. You also want to make sure, well, one, are you going to use the same CPA for a long time? Uh, if so, you know, that's a little bit easier to make sure that losses that you harvested seven years ago are still being used, right? Um, you want to make sure that, you know, let's say that you had a bunch of Apache and most of our listeners know that Apache had a pretty bad streak, um, right? So you might've had a cost basis that was super high 10, 15 years ago or something. And then in 2020, you have the opportunity to sell it with a six figure loss. Um, that's a hypothetical situation that could be relevant. Well, you know, you want to make sure that if you harvested some massive six figure loss, every CPA that does your tax return better know about it. They better know that that exists. Because, you know, Jared, think about tax loss harvesting nuance. Um, One, there's a ton of nuance depending on where you live with estate tax laws in terms of does the account owner or do both spouses get to harvest tax loss? So if the primary owner passes away, uh, there's some nuance there. There's also just the sheer simple fact of, okay, you have $150,000 tax loss from six years ago. Does the CPA doing your return know that? Because, I mean, you should probably harvest gains now and use that up as much as you possibly can. But if you harvest 35000 of gains and the person preparing your tax return does not know that you have $150,000 tax loss from many years ago that can offset that gain, well, boom, you just paid you know, six, $7,000 in taxes that you never needed to pay. Yeah. That's the other thing is right. Like lack of coordination or like, and I would also call kind of what you're talking about, Justin, like a lack of continuity. Like if you change tax preparers regularly, just making sure, Hey, they have a tax return and you know, Hey, if you change tax preparers, that they have good notes of all the strategies and everything that's been done kind of up until this point. Cause a lot of times the CPA will just look and say, Hey, did you have documents for this last year? If you do, I need those this year. Right. But some strategies aren't done every year, right? You might do a Roth conversion one year and then lay off it the next year because of something that's going on in your income plan. Or, you know, you might accelerate income or you might make a big contribution to a charitable fund. Uh, but you, you kind of lumped lumped your gift. So you're not going to do that every year. So they'll just kind of do, they'll kind of do pattern recognition, which is, Hey, do you have documents for this last year? If so, you need them this year. But a lot of times strategies aren't done sequentially that like that they're, they're, they're kind of staggered. So uh, so that's kind of a big, big thing we come across, right? Because it's such a such a pain to to go through the work of implementing the tax strategy 
And it's like not getting the credit, right? It's like, it's like doing all the work to get the tax benefits. And then if it's not translated correctly to the CPA, it doesn't really matter. And a lot of times, because, you know, these strategies haven't been done on an ongoing basis, clients don't even know where to look to make sure that this was in fact executed on correctly and, and documented correctly. So true. And so continuity is an issue. But your point, Jared, coordination, the inverse of what we're talking about, excuse me, also very important. Your CPA probably knows about this tax loss. They're probably marking it right on your return uh, to make sure it's it's there. Well, what if your investment manager doesn't review your tax return? What if you're paying an investment manager to manage assets and they don't know that you harvested a forty, sixty thousand dollar tax loss years ago? That is a really big deal uh, because, like I said depending on account registration, depending on what state you live in, there can be some urgency to go ahead and use prior tax losses. And so there's got to be coordination and continuity, if you can help it, certainly a big advantage too. Ooh, Jared, NUA, another big point here. A lot of nuance there. Um, NUA does not get the same treatment as basically every other piece of property in the tax code. Um, so there's got to be continuity uh, with your tax returns with NUA. Oh my goodness, has to be continu- there has to be coordination, communication in the year that you elect NUA. Um, and then I think the last thing I would say, there has to be coordination with your estate plan as well. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, a lack of coordination, I would say, is a 2.0 issue um, that presumes that you have a a CPA that's sufficient or a tax preparer who's sufficiently qualified to execute your returns, right? Which leads to this next point of like top tax prep mistake is an underqualified CPA, right? And so like we will have clients with, you know, substantial net worths that go to H&R Block because they think their situation is simple, but it rarely is that simple. And we we have seen this firsthand. We've seen Roth IRA rollovers getting coded as income and then looked at the return and said, whoa, you know, this is overstating income taxes by tens of thousands of dollars because, uh, because the tax preparer didn't know, uh, how to code that transaction correctly. And I know, I know that, you know, the incompetence one seems obvious or we'll have clients who, Hey, I want to, I want to do it myself or, Hey, I just want to hire the, use the person in H and R block that I've always used, even though my tax situation is a lot more complex. Um, that's that's a big mistake that we see, and a lot of times, a lot of these strategies they're not intuitive. So if you're not if you don't have somebody who's come across them, it might be reported incorrectly, even if even if they get the correct tax docked. Yeah, Jared. You know, I think we kind of joke that uh, we have a client example where something was uh, essentially put incorrectly on the tax return, and the client uh, we reviewed the tax return and found that the client paid something like sixty thousand more in taxes than what they owed. So fortunately, the return was able to be amended. The situation was righted. But, you know, that was years ago. And we joke that, gosh, that that client is pretty much forever grateful Um, because it's a simple thing that if you're diligent enough to just have some coordination and just review a tax return and make sure that everyone's on the same page, uh, you can avoid mistakes. And the thing about it is sometimes a simple mistake can be a lot of money. It can be sixty, seventy thousand dollars, and so yeah, some thoroughness, some diligence, coordination, communication can solve a lot of that. Yeah, awesome. Uh, next big mistake we see: unnecessary urgency. 
So you can defer, or I guess uh, you can delay your tax filing deadline. You can file for an extension that's actually due October 15th. So a lot of people will say, hey, tax date's April 15th. Let's go ahead and do it uh, and just get it done by then. This is for people with higher complexity. So if you own multiple entities, mineral interests, you're getting a bunch of different K-1s and have trust income, and each of those trusts has its own tax return. It's You're probably not going to get those documents in a healthy amount of time. Uh, to where, you know, either you're going to make your CPA sweat a ton and, or, you know, increasing the, the turnaround time. If you get all those documents by the end of March and the CPA only has days to do it, uh, there's a higher odds that something's done incorrectly. Yes. Tax liability needs to be taken care of by that April 15th deadline. But if you have a lot of entity complexity, there's no need to, to rush yourself and get it done by April 15th. So isn't applicable to everybody, but it is something we see. You can file an extension, not a big deal. Doesn't really change your know, audit probability. Um, so that, that's another thing we see is people just getting a little over overzealous of and hyper fixated on the on the April fifteenth deadline. That's a good point. I think the only commentary I'm, I'm going to add here is if you own a lot of alternative investments. So if you are a limited partner in real estate deals or any type of deal, if you're a limited partner and you're getting a K one and you're getting a bunch of K-1s, you need to be content with uh, you know, having a little bit of patience and it's okay to let all the dust settle, get all the K-1s, make sure that everything is coordinated, uh, making sure that these um, partnerships that you're a limited partner in, if they're in California, Colorado, or different states that do require you to uh, file a state tax return as well, there's just so many moving parts and uh, patience is a virtue, making sure that hey, there's no rush, get everything organized and executed properly. Awesome. And last mistake that we commonly see. Uh, this one is pretty pretty simple, but not super obvious. So um, this is, we'll call this the withholding mistake, right? So really this is a, under withholding or B, over withholding, right? So I, I would say both of those are a mistake. Under withholding is probably the more consequential thing where, um, you know, you could be subject to penalties if you don't meet the safe harbor rules for tax prep. Over withholding is suboptimal in terms of, you know, you're giving the IRS more cash than you necessarily need. But more commonly, the the one we see is under withholding. And there's a few different things that can lead to under withholding. So if, if you're doing a tax projection and you see, hey, my effective tax rate is going to be 20% this year. Uh, and then they do they make a bunch of decisions related to their portfolio and they withhold 20%. Um, that makes sense in a vacuum. But if you have multiple income sources, you need to look at the income and withholding of each of those income sources. Because a lot of times, like social security is a great example where social security will consider some employment income, but probably not all of it. And if you don't have employment income, it won't consider any portfolio income or Roth distribution income or any other tax planning related income. So if your social security is doing 0% withholding, and then you're you know doing a $20,000 distribution from your IRA every quarter, uh, you probably need to withhold way more than your effective rate to accommodate for the fact that uh, other some of your income sources aren't withholding correctly. That's a great point. Um, and you know, a personal example there, Jared, is in our business. So we own our business, and we are doing. I mean, we do have W two income, so we do have some tax withheld there. But the owner's distributions with our business, we've got to make estimated quarterly tax payments on those. 
Um, it is helpful that when you file your return in, I'll pick uh, 2021, uh, you're going to owe X amount of tax. And then that can schedule out your 2022 estimated quarterly tax payments to ensure that you don't have an underpayment uh, with potential uh, you know, interest penalties. But the reason I mention that is if you're in a business that has recurring revenue that's growing, well, then you're likely going to have an estimated quarterly tax payment schedule that is based off of, in my example, 2021's income. But if your recurring revenue is growing, 2022 is going to be a bigger revenue, bigger profit year, bigger taxable income year. It's important to expect that, hey, those quarterly estimated tax payments you're going to be good. You're not going to owe an interest penalty if you're keeping up with those, but your true up will be large if your business is growing. And then 2022, you do the return. That maps out 2023's estimated quarterly tax payments. But again, if you grew and if your taxable income is higher, then when you file that return in 24, no, there's going to be some substantial tax owed. And so it's a good problem, but good to be aware that Hey, just because you're making estimated quarterly tax payments, if you own your business and it is growing, um, that's something to be mindful of. Yeah, that's exactly right. And kind of exact same concept, just a different person. I would say the executive at a super major publicly traded company with substantial equity compensation is kind of in the same bucket, right? Your year to year income will vary pretty wildly depending on the size of your RSUs or performance units or stock options. And they'll kind of use backdated information. Hey, what was it last year? What's it going to be this year? But anyone with equity comp knows it's it's pretty lumpy. And there's some years where there's sizable, you know, significantly more and that needs to be coded. And you know, you can have deep, you know, there's some default withholding uh in terms of these grants. So you can have automatic withholding, but generally it's a, just an automated rate and it's below it's prob likely below your effective tax rate if you're a high income earner with substantial income across other sources or two income household. Great point. We've ran into that with ExxonMobil clients and some others as well. So very important to be mindful of RSUs and what is your company actually withholding out of those RSUs? How does that compare to your highest marginal rate? Yeah, that's right. So in summary, top tax prep mistakes we see, HSA, IRA funding, a lack of coordination, uh, an underqualified CPA doing the work, uh, an unnecessary amount of urgency to file on April 15th, and then mismanaging your withholding. Justin, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't have you talk for a brief moment about how we as a firm kind of help knowing that these are all the potential mistakes out there. How are we as a firm helping our clients with this? Yep. And so there's kind of a beginning, middle and end to this. Uh, We want to first, we want to review your tax return. So that's kind of the beginning step one. We want to review what was your most recent tax return. And then If it makes sense, produce a tax letter that helps organize and and communicate some of the big things that we want reflected on your tax return. Uh, And then again, review your tax return when it is done. Be in communication with the CPA. And so, you know, we've got a team of CPAs that we like. uh, And then there's also cases where we will have a client that already has a CPA that they've really enjoy working with. And so either direction, important for us to be in communication with that CPA. Um, And so I think that's it. It starts with reviewing last year's return, and then it's getting organized to do this year's return, being in communication with the CPA, and then again, review that return once it's done. What would you add there, Jared? 
Yeah, Justin, those are all great. Um, in, in addition to that, with a small subset of clients, where we've started to tinker with the idea of doing uh, tax letters. And all, what this document does is it essentially provides information. It's kind of cliff notes on, hey, what, what activity happened in all the accounts uh, that we managed for you? And then what are the expected tax documents? And then any notes that are helpful for the CPA. So in addition to kind of doing what you're talking about of, hey, reviewing, planning, and then executing. And like in addition to what you're talking about, we actually uh, are starting to roll out tax letters for uh, for a certain segment of our clients. And we'll continue to to do that and hopefully continue to offer and expand that offering to two more clients as, as we continue to grow in that capacity. But yeah, we, we it's definitely one of those things where doing the strategies isn't enough, making sure they're reflected has to, and, and getting credit for it has to happen. Otherwise they're kind of done in vain. You know, the other thing that I think about with this, Jared, and it, uh, part of it is what we're talking about in this point. The other part of it goes back to point number one and having some continuity or some coordination. You know, Simple mistakes can be extremely costly with five or six figure costs associated with them. But one of the reasons why mistakes happen is because you may be working with a tax preparer who works with every type of client under the sun. And so whether it's an investment firm, a CFP, or a CPA doing tax preparation, there certainly is a little bit of an advantage to having a specialized focus. Uh, and speaking for us, speaking for our firm, Brownlee Wealth Management, you know, I'll be honest, Jared, there was a moment at the beginning, you know, four and a half, five years ago, where I kind of wondered, does this look like it's really, does it look like a marketing gimmick? Like when you go to our website, it says wealth management, financial planning for oil and gas. Is there actually anything to that? Is that an actual advantage or is this just a marketing gimmick? And, you know, We've been doing this for for years now, and we can emphatically say, oh my goodness, it is so much easier to add value to clients and to dive into financial planning when the vast, vast majority of our clients have the same questions, the same opportunities, and the same struggles. And for the small percentage of our clients who are not in oil and gas, we've made sure that their situation looks very similar to the ones who are. And so it has been an enormous advantage to think about big financial problems and big financial opportunities when every pitch we're seeing is the same curveball. We're not seeing nine different pitches. We're seeing one pitch and we just have to be an expert on that one pitch. Yeah, that's exactly right, Justin. And it's a great place to wrap it up. Yeah. So tax prep mistakes, I would agree with you. They're not they're not the coolest thing to talk about, they're, but they're hugely important and can make a meaningful difference in your financial life if they're mismanaged. So, you know, make sure you have a good professionals in your corner and make sure those professionals are communicating with each other and make sure you have a plan. Awesome. Well, that's all we got for this episode. Uh, ideas for future episodes, feedback on this one or feedback on whether or not Justin should take that trip this summer podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.